0: We're all worried about polarization these days. In
1: a time of heightened political tension, Republicans, that fact that their policy crossing the line does a lot less to restrain
0: their dislike for the other party. These are the sounds that make up our everyday soundscapes. In the news cycle, they're consistently readily available to us and in our personal lives. And of course, at the intersection of these two spheres, which is a border that is becoming increasingly blurred, So we have a constant stream of information in our own pockets. My name is Claire, and I'm a 23-year-old student from Vancouver. I moved to Vancouver five years ago to study Dialogue and Communication, and in this time I've tried to make sense of a political spectrum, social life, education, and even city that struggles with intense polarization. For the first time, as a student, I'm not even able to bump into other students in lecture halls or hallways to unpack thoughts on these issues and I felt that this is only farthering polarization of our viewpoints. At home, we are all able to mute, delete, walk away from those who disagree with us. It's become so easy to call out or even cancel those who have viewpoints that we consider to be opponents rather than calling them in to a dialogue space or conversation. This has really made me wonder what effects this has on youth who are studying and living at this time in Vancouver. I decided to explore this concept by calling up friends, strangers, classmates, and colleagues who all share an interest in working personally or professionally with dialogue. In the last episode on this series, I talked to Melvin. Melvin is a political science graduate from SFU and is active in community organizing in Vancouver. I speak with Melvin about how he uses dialogue in his personal life, and he shares with me a story about an organization who is using dialogue in Vancouver to aid polarization in the realm of trans rights. Um,
1: I'm a settler, so so this this is this is a this is an important thing for me to bring into this conversation here because. Um, as much as my student and work permit tell me that I'm allowed to be here, this is not my land. Um, I also happen to live right smack in the middle of the downtown east side, um, where it's a hotbed of polarization. You know, we have the opioid crisis going on. We've got issues surrounding gender inclusion. We've got issues surrounding racism. Um, you know, there's a need for more robust rights when it comes to sex workers. Uh, there's a there's a housing issue that's also that's also going on in this area. So. Um, when it comes to polarization, Vancouver is not a foreigner to the topic, you know? R- right in the middle of our city, we we have all of these issues that are unfolding around this.
0: With that landscape set about all the polarizing factors that make up Vancouver, how do we go about addressing them?
1: You can't talk about it without bringing in this idea of echo chambers. you know? Like... Globalization goes hand-in-hand hand with Ego because You have a group of people that have sat in a, a metaphorical room for so long and they've just yelled each other's ideas and had people with the same mindset sort of validate those ideas. Once in a while, you will get people coming out of their rooms and going, hey, let's have a discussion about it. And the moment somebody goes, let's have a discussion about this, that is a very crucial and critical moment. Because how you address that essentially has the ability to decide where the issue goes going forward.
0: As Melvin began speaking about how dialogue can be used to have conversations between folks in different echo chambers, the idea of how to make dialogue spaces anti-racist was at the forefront of my mind. So I asked Melvin to share a bit with me about his ideas about making dialogue spaces anti-racist.
1: I was leading a discussion once um, on on how public participation can be expanded um, to take on an anti-racist stance, you know? So how do you, and part of those conversations came in ideas like decolonizing dialogue uh, or adding in disruptive engagement, which is this idea I've been grappling with for a very for a while now like we disrupt so disruption is to 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 disrupt the status quo right to have conversations that that are so different from what is that it allows you to imagine what is to be um but how do you do that how do you how do you how do you have the colonized dialogue i don't know i'm i'm a brown queer immigrant in canada and i don't know how to have decolonized dialogue even though decolonization should be on the top of my mind
0: melvin then began sharing a story with me about anti-racist spaces and dialogues and being called in
1: so three years ago um atop burnaby mountain that was the student-led engagement um, sort of session that was going on and towards the end of that session uh, an alumnus of the university, who was also who a black man who was an alumnus of the university, had stepped up to the mic to voice his 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 dissatisfaction with how SFSs had been um, essentially governing student affairs at the school. Right, and so I told that, I was like, yes, I, I I remember I remember that time. Like this man, he had walked up and he was being like super violent. And she, she stops me. And mind you, we're sitting in front of like a bunch of people. They're all listening to me. She stops me and she goes, see, that? that is why this is problematic. Because if a white person were to stand up and yell at the mic, we would say free speech. We would say his voicing, his dissatisfaction. Um, but because it was a black person, and through years and years of socialization on my part, this was my racism that was acting out, I had equated a black man yelling with violence, you know? And so she called me out on it. Um, and immediately I was filled with this, with this sense of rage and also shame, like rage, like, Oh my God, like you just called me out in front of everyone. And then shame, like, I'm, I'm I'm secretly a racist. Like this is upsetting, you know? Um, and so I looked at her, I was sad, scared, ashamed, um, but thankfully, I, I had the, the the decency to go, thank you for calling me out. I'm sorry that this happened. And in front of everyone, again, she pauses and she goes, no, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you in. I love you. I want you to be in this space. I'm just letting you know what the terms of engagement are. For me, that is what being an ally is, right? One... Um, the voices of those who are currently facing those battles, but two, not 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 making matters worse by shaming someone where they make a mistake. Call them in, because the movement doesn't grow by you ostracizing people. It grows by you bringing more people in. Um, and activism is important. I, I mean. Uh, Historically, activism has been the only way that you get your governments to listen to you, that you get folks to give you to, to understand why you're fighting for the rights that you're fighting for. Um, so, yeah, those are two very important things. We just need to be really conscious about how we do it, you know, uh, and, and make sure that we're not making it about ourselves.
0: Can you expand a bit on terms of engagement and the difference between being called in versus being called out definitely
1: um that, that's a good that's a great question um i think it's important let's let's start with that i think the whole calling someone in instead of out and not doing it performatively actually meaning it and you will know when somebody it. you know uh, because the air in the room doesn't change the way they treat you doesn't change um but we spoke a little about echo chambers and what happens when somebody tries to venture out of their echo chamber um, and state their opinion, no matter whatever way they do it. And as long as you're respecting somebody's humanity, you know, if you were to like come out and say that, you know, this is why I think brown folks shouldn't be allowed to to protest, or this is why I think. Um, Brown man shouldn't be able to um, go to the same school that my my child is going to. You know, people are going to have their views. And eventually, they're going to leave their echo chambers and they're going to come out and they're going to try to make their views um, accessible to all in a very egalitarian way. Um, And they're going to expect people to either agree or disagree, which is the dichotomy we've created ourselves. It's either you agree or you disagree. Right? There never is a space in between where we can go, listen, throw whatever you want into this middle space. I'm not gonna pick anything up. But I just need to know where you stand. I need you to know where I stand. Right? That is the most important thing um, in in terms of engagement. When you come up with the terms of engagement, is that we there is definitely zero to two percent chance that we're gonna agree on all the things that we're talking about. And that's okay. We're trying to find common ground, and we're going to spend the time trying to get to know each other's perspectives. We're going to spend the time trying to build off each other's lived experiences. You know, you're not going to get chained. You're not going to get ostracized. You're not going to get exiled for your thoughts. But we need need to have a commitment in creating that space. And no matter how hard it is, and trust me, it is hard it is difficult, you know, because when you're sitting across someone who's trying to reduce you to nothing, every ounce of, every inch of you wants to just stand up and build a wall or worse, right? But but fostering a deep commitment towards holding that space um, is, a, is an important thing that we need to do if we want to move forward as a community.
0: You sort of like shared an image that really resonated with me about dialogue where there's someone, I just sort want to of picture it as someone standing on one side, another standing on the other, and you're just throwing things into the middle and trying to find middle ground to know where each person stands. Um, okay. I was wondering if you could share maybe an example of, of an experience that you had where that happened.
1: Um, so, yes, um, that analogy actually came about from how I conduct things with my partner. <laughs> we actually came to this agreement because, you know, We have two rules. One, speak about it before it gets difficult to speak about it. And two, there's a middle space. Okay? Sometimes you just need to have the ability to throw things out and not have it associated with a repercussion. You need to have a space where somebody can go, hey, I'm upset about this thing that you did and I'm putting it out there. You don't need to apologize because in your head you might be justified but I'm putting it there so that it's no longer... Um, uh, a monkey it's not it's no longer a monkey in my back you know it's, it's not itching at me and that way I can have this conversation that I want to have with you um so so I started it out with my partner and 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 I've tried to take it into my friendships into the space if I'm facilitating I think it's an it's an important thing to have just just the place to throw it in and it's fine just throw everything in I'm here to listen um and I and I won't pick anything up You know, and chances are you will feel 100% better after just letting it it off your chest.
0: Lastly, I asked Melvin to share a story that inspires him in his dialogue work, personally and professionally. This is what he had to say.
1: One of the organizations that I I look up to most, and it's based in Vancouver, is called Love Intersection. The founding story of this organization is fantastic. So they are a a band of... um, are non-conforming artists, um, um, and they've essentially created this space for dialogue to occur through different mediums, you know, not a town hall, not a meeting, through art, through poetry, through conversation, through, um, you know, uh, the, these sort of sharing circles that they've, that they've um, co- hosted, and people just come in, and they have space now the founding story of that organization is fantastic so what had happened was they were they were activists and they were they were fighting for uh, the right for trans kids to use the appropriate bathrooms the ones that they identified with at a local Vancouver school so obviously on, on both sides of the issue you have the parents of the trans kids who are going my kids should be allowed to use whatever washrooms they want to use this is a school um, uh, and, and self-expression and you know the ability to be yourself is important this is what you should be teaching in school and then you have the other folks who are going i just i don't want a boy in the female bathroom and i don't want a girl and in the mail bathroom, because I, I, you know, I, I want to make sure that my kids are safe. School. And so they kept probing,
0: they kept probing, and
1: they, they had the conversation, they kept having the conversation, and at the end of the day, what they figured out was, these parents, on the one side, were worried about the safety of their children, and on the other side, the parents were worried about their children not being able to express themselves and also the safety of their children because you know what happens if they get bullied more whatnot. and then they kept probing further and they realized that side A loved their kids side B also loved their kids and so they came up with the name love in this section because on both sides the value that they were trying to reach was that they loved their kids and they wanted to make sure they were safe how that played out looked polarizing right but the values were the same that's what dialogue allows you to do we are not i'm never gonna these parents probably never agreed on whether or not trans kids should be allowed to you know trans kids in different schools should be allowed to do whatever they want to do but what they did agree on was in this school we're both prioritizing love so how are we going to let that play out um That has been one of the most fundamental transformational things that dialogue brought into my life, that no conversation is not exciting. It's exciting if you let it be. And two, um, chances are, if you were fighting (laughs) and there's a heated discussion, the values that you're arguing about are the same. The scenarios in which they play out are different
0: Throughout this podcast series of exploring how youth in Vancouver are using dialogue to aid polarization, I have expanded my understanding of the power of dialogue spaces. I started with talking to Fergus, where we explored the role of media in creating different realities and the importance of empathy in moving between those realities. Then through speaking to Emma, I came to understand the role of privilege in having power in dialogue and how different privileges arise from identity as she spoke about education and differences in rural and urban spaces. When I spoke to Joe next, we discussed the paradigm shift to the right and the issues of ideological purity that are increasing polarization. He told me a story about how lack of purity in veganism allows folks to participate in a way that is pragmatic. He then spoke to me about how often folks want the same outcome and have different ways of reaching it. In my next conversation with Jocelyn and Sarah, we spoke about gatekeeping and cancel culture in social media as factors that increase polarization. The conversation continued as we discussed creating anti-racist spaces and dialogue. In this last episode, we spoke about anti-racist spaces and the difference between getting called in versus getting called out. Through this process, I have gained an understanding of the different ways youth in Vancouver are using dialogue to navigate a political climate, city, education system, and social life that are increasingly polarized. I learned how youth are reinventing dialogue and ensuring that dialogue centers shared humanity and is anti-racist. This conversation gives me hope in the generation's ability to communicate with one another and work together to building an equitable future.